Hey everybody, uh, some front matter. Uh, if you like podcasts that don't go on random rabbit trails and spend a lot of time talking about nonsense, this is definitely not the episode you should listen to. There's a lot of cool stuff in this episode. I didn't want to like throw it in the trash or anything, but like we did not stay on topic today. Um, hopefully that's not a big deal for you guys. And, um, you know, we're, we're still figuring out exactly what our rhythm and flow is and things like that. So, uh, hope you enjoy the episode. All right. This is Games Are Fun. My name is Corin Mana. And, uh, with me today are Tasha. And Ralph. And Ralph. Yeah. (laughs) Um... So at the uh, at the top of the show, uh, do a little news. Um, when I when I bring up news, I always try to bring up some news that um, is fairly good. Uh, and there there's been some news recently that I think is worth sharing, even though it's it kind of comes from less great starting places. Um, so one of them is uh, there's been a lot of um, people questioning. Um, sort of systemic uh, continuations of bad perspectives and um, how people can work to change those things. And um, uh, Wizards of the Coast, uh, makers of D&D, have decided that they are going to participate in that uh, by um, addressing the idea of racial essentialism, um, which is the idea that because you are a race, uh, this this thing is true of you. And uh, particularly with regard to evil races, uh, the idea that because you are a drow or an orc or uh, some other goblinoid race, um, that you are inherently evil and will do bad things and there is no uh, no real chance at redemption and uh, uh, it is the exception uh, if... if uh, there is such a thing as a good drow or, or something along those lines. Does anybody, anybody have any opinions about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of opinions. Go ahead, Ralph. Express your opinion. I just want to say, my opinion is, look, let's be honest. All of this absurd racial stereotypes couched in a fantasy world started with Tolkien. Let's be honest. The Urukai are just oriental stereotypes. I'm intentionally using the word oriental, not because I'm trying to be offensive, just to reference the context in which that stereotype was embedded. And hey, if we have fantasy role-playing that's based on those Tolkien tropes, then some of that's going to be present. Also, everybody's a little racist. I said it. There, I said it. Everybody is a little racist. Can't be taught racism your whole life and not be a little racist. Exactly. Tasha, do you have any opinions? Um, I actually like some of the changes that they're they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, for me, it feels a little, um, a little lip serviced. Um, right now, anyways. Mm-hmm. 
specifically regarding like drow and and orcs and stuff that's already something generally been trying to move away from as a whole um so i think even warcraft or has or sorry like i'm just thinking wow like even their videos kind of depict even though they have like the horde and they're supposed to be and the alliance and they have them kind of colored you know supposed to be bad guys versus good guys even then they're like nah here's this like complicated story about why (laughs) so it isn't anyway and so (laughs) and that was earlier let alone what they're doing now so um I guess mostly there's this uh, thing where we've already moved past it, and now they're just being like, "Yep, so have we," and we're like, "Cool, thanks for joining us." Yeah, so you're um, saying maybe maybe they're a little late to the party, and maybe the move has less to do with them really caring about this and more to do with public perception of their company. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I am glad they're changing Curse of Strahd, and uh, I need to find out more about uh, Tomb of Annihilation, uh, because I know I ran into issues running Curse of Strahd stuff, that I'm like, okay, we're gonna... <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't remember <laughs> that what they call that group. Uh, my head says Veraska. Is that right? But they're, uh... they're based on um, gypsy stereotypes. That right. is a slur. No, I know that. That's what I'm saying. It's based on the stereotype, not on the like Roma culture. So yeah, so that was something that I was running into while playing it. I'm like just being my head against a wall, and part of me is like, is this just because we're Americans and they just don't get it, and and you have to be well, you know, understand that there's problems outside the United States with these issues as well. Um, I think in direct regards to, like, Vraska and Roma, um, they, uh, I, I think when the first adventure got written, the, the fact that that was, uh, a really, um, hurtful portrayal, uh, like, wasn't quite, a, a mainstream concept, um, definitely when the further adventures were written, uh, that had become pretty, like, well-known, yeah. um, yeah, was it the Hickmans that wrote the first Ravenloft? I think I think it was the Hickmans that wrote the first Ravenloft. And the Hickmans. I'll have to take you up on that or word for that. I I just don't know off the top of my head who. Well, there's who this magic thing original. called Google and uh, the power of editing later, <laughs> so I can just look it up and make sure I'm not saying something stupid because I get mad when other podcasts do that. Uh, da, da, da. Yes, uh, the original version was written by Tracy and Laura Hickman. Um, and uh, I know that because it's they are regarded as very good D&D writers, um, and they only made so many uh, modules before they left TSR to go uh, work full-time writing Dragonlance. Um, ah. That's right. Yeah. And um, so they, they created the first Ravenloft, and the first Ravenloft is considered a pretty good adventure. And then um, the second one was just made by guys who, like were their a staff um because they were like hey take our Uh, our best rated adventure but they gave it to like six different people and didn't mm -hmm. really coordinate between them so the second one ended up being real weird and a definite tonal shift from the first one Mm -hmm. because it had no central vision 
That's peculiar. Um, and then uh, in fourth edition, they made the Castle oh, yeah. Ravenloft board game um, mm -hmm. oh, that yeah. uh, the board about. games made at that time used the a very similar system to what fourth edition was using. And there were some modules that yeah. sort of helped you do a Ravenloft-esque campaign in um, good time. fourth edition. Oh, yeah, to be fair, I think that's still one of the best-selling board games because they still use fourth edition for their board games. And yes, they haven't so... changed the system because they want them to all be compatible with each other. Yeah, and it's also like the the complaints people have about fourth edition don't really apply to that board game for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. Like one of the problems is. Uh, like the numbers get too big, the higher the levels you go, and you're not actually leveling up like you do in the game. Um, and uh, some people had problems keeping track of certain things, and you're given cards that have your abilities on them. So basically, most of the complaints that people had about 4th edition as a D&D &D game uh, just aren't relevant to the board game. No, no. It's, it's... Yes, just like in reality, how they're not relevant <laughs> in the discussion of 4th edition ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm definitely in that camp where it's like, hey, this makes a really good board game or a bunch of other things that isn't a tabletop RPG. Yeah, people got feelings. Before, got before feelings. we turn every episode of the show into why 4th edition is not bad, is bad, or somewhere <laughs> in between. Uh, not in between. I'll continue the with the Ravenloft. I've said it many times. So it went to 5th edition, and they put out... Uh, one of their um, uh, pre-written adventure seasons, as well as, I think, a full book, right? Yeah. Ravenloft? Tasha? Yeah, yeah. They There's did, they did the one full book, and then one season of their organized mm -hmm. play was Ravenloft. Yeah, which had some very funny caveats, because the reason I had to set up the whole, like, special table for it was because once you get stuck in Barovia in... You're like, your character's stuck there. So they can't do any other module. <laughs> so whoever's doing it has to run it all the way through to get your characters out. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun, but like I committed myself to like three to four months of solid weekly role play to make sure that they <laughs> could get their characters through Ravenloft essentially. And oh, um did the um See, we can look up names because we are willing to look at uh, Google while we're doing this. It's fine. So, um, so, so, uh, yeah, Watsi, uh, they should have announced that they were just going to stop making games forever. <laughs> uh, Twitter agrees. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was something we didn't get into. Uh, I was going to finish up this thing. Like, uh, a lot of people called them out on like you could have changed this at any time. Why? Why do we have to be yeah. <laughs> in the middle of what we're in the middle of for you to finally do this? Because like yeah. it's not like people haven't called you out on this. It's not like people haven't brought it up. And yeah. now, mm -hmm. the other thing is that they have been slowly getting better. But yeah, they could have done way more dramatic, sweeping stuff than just little nods. Yeah. Like it feels way more placating. Yes, it, then, it like to your note of it feels like a PR move. It feels like a PR move because they're doing it now. 
Like, if they'd done it yeah. when we weren't in the middle of protests that are centered around racial discrimination, it would have felt like they actually cared about this and wanted it to happen. So, um, yeah. They so the Raven- did it after the whole role-playing community decided they were going to house rule races to not <laughs> focus on racial Yeah, after one of the best-selling supplements for 5th edition was uh, Race and Ancestry. Yes. Yeah. An an alternate yeah. way to handle races in D and I and I honestly I when people like how do I make a half dwarf half elf I just turn them to that book like I don't even yeah <laughs> there is I don't even hesitate. I'll tell you how you make a half orc or a half dwarf half elf in a very sexy way. <laughs> well, how do you stat it? That's the question. <laughs> oh yeah, extra um, constitution. <laughs> there um so uh yeah so uh i don't know we've left the plot but uh ravenloft uh the questionable race was vistani uh yes now that yeah yeah i struggled with pronouncing it so that was part of it um because i was like sitting here trying to read it so that was that was the one question I wanted to ask was were the Vistani in the fifth edition stuff? Like like mm-hmm. were they heavily featured? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, um, so they, you know, a- as a callback to something that happened in an adventure that was written before people had an awareness of how damaging this stereotype was, um, they decided to include it. And it there was no need to. Um like even within the context of the game, there are nomadic people. Like they don't have to be there. I yeah, I think they were. Yeah, there isn't a particular <laughs> reason why. Um, on the other hand, not doing it could also be a problem too, because you still want to have like proper representation. It, you know, but there's, you still need representation. Is is like that weird line where you're trying to yeah yeah but i think if i think if given the opportunity or the the option between bad representation and a lack of representation i i think a lot of people would choose a lack over a negative portrayal yes racism is not like pr well said yeah and uh this is why I unfortunately don't like getting into like the the sadder topics, but um, you know there there's been a number of companies that have been addressing things like this, and um, I I I have a friend who sees you know the reports of you know this is being mishandled and this this bad thing is happening and it you know heightens her anxiety and makes her feel like the world is on fire. And the thing is, these are part of a process of change, and to to change we have to address the problem first so uh i i i want to see this as a step in the right direction regardless of whether it is based on pr or otherwise well and this is entirely coming from my marketing like training and stuff um that's the only way to make companies do things yeah Make them think it so, will affect their profits. Uh, and the problem I mean, is so much. Oh, go ahead. 
No, no, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. I would say most of, oh, like, continued perceptions of our society is continued through our marketing media and until the companies care enough to make sure you have responsible marketing you're not you're not going to get a social change as well it, it has to be both so even though yeah. this is a move it's at least gonna stick uh, i am inclined to agree with you i think generally that in order to persuade someone to adopt a behavior an attitude that is unfamiliar or a little counter to what they've been doing in the past, you the easiest way is to connect it somehow to their values and motivations, to their direct interests. And that's often how to motivate companies who have a direct economic interest, right, in their own profits or success. And if you're able to persuade them that adopting a different attitude or a different approach to producing media, they make more money or continue to make money and uh, get more respect, then they'll do it. Mm. And I think there's a direct parallel when you're trying to persuade people. And so as much as I want to make fun of Watsi and the ridiculousness and people being oblivious and deciding that now's the time to appear like a woke company, I, I do want to acknowledge that considering the large fan base that Dungeons and Dragons has, it is possible that there are some people who are a little inexperienced, perhaps well-meaning, but a little inexperienced with the notion of racial essentialism and some other more complicated, nuanced issues in hierarchical, socialized, or institutionalized oppression. And so a statement by Watsi might be effective at reaching some people who otherwise might not understand these concepts. Yeah, or if nothing else, embed it, hopefully not only within their like um, company culture, but within how they'll handle books and material that they're going to produce for the future. And then people will, when they come to the, that material, will have it already presented in a, an easier attainable aspect. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I know Pathfinder did the same thing too with about their adventure path with the, I am forgetting the name of it. Let me Google, but it was about the guard. Um, the I'm Crimson Guard. Maybe. No, I'm, I'm making a reference to holla at me, anybody, if you get that. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out if we get any hollers. Yeah. <laughs> Corn will tell me. You get three hollers. Yeah, people, <laughs> people hit me up on Reddit. <laughs> tell, tell, <laughs> tell me that you're hollering at Ralph, and I'll let him know. <laughs> holla at your boy. You know, I'm out here just just trying to rep shit. Nobody, nobody cares about Speaking of fourth edition. <laughs> Sasha, did you remember what you wanted to say? <laughs> oh, about about fourth edition or No, about like like you were looking up uh an adventure path that you felt was problematic. Well, no that they I'm on their website, I'm trying to find it. Hmm. Um I mean like I just, like my assumption would be Jade Empire, because I feel like that's the only thing where like racial dynamics might it, apply, but or brand new one. Here it is: Agents of Everwatch or Elder Watch. Oh, okay. I haven't been paying attention in a while, so I don't know anything about their new stuff. So it is for for Pathfinder Two. Um, but they made notes that, 
hey, maybe we were kind of dumbasses while writing this. Um, here's a whole nother supplement to it that allows you to change it. Uh, we'll do better next time, hopefully. Uh, um, it was it was a combination of being a little little lip servicey, but because they are writing a whole nother second thing to go with it, it makes me curious. Okay. Because I want to know how they handle that second that supplement to this. Because clearly this was already printed, and they're like, "We have books now. What do you want us to do?" Um, and then they were like, "Well, we we could have not made those books." And there was like, "Yeah, <laughs> okay. So here's our second option." It's a, a an interesting segue into the second news story that I was going to bring up, um, which is uh, again with some. Uh, not so great origins. Um, Onyx Path has had a number of issues with allegations either against people who work directly for them or um, have done some amount of work for them in the past. Um, oh, and, yeah. Uh, specifically, like, sexual allegations. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, they, they recently had a very main member um, accused of some stuff, uh, which she has denied. I think would uh, be appropriate to uh, put on that um, but uh, in in relation to that the company as a whole has been trying to um, make sure that they are doing their due diligence to uh, address those concerns and specifically somebody that they uh, worked with in the past he was never uh, a contributing author or anything like that um, but he did modeling for artwork that they have in their books. And oh, yeah. um, they do not want... Uh, and this is a person who sustained uh, a large number of accusations. Um, so this wasn't just like a single accusation that made them uh, like really want to uh, take the hammer on this. Um, so they're removing any artwork of that, that he is in uh, from, from their books. And oh, wow. Um, so right now a book called, um, uh, Lore of the Clans, uh, which is a V20 book, um, isn't mm -hmm. available. Um, like you can't go to drive through and get it. And, um, they're, they're going to re-release the book soon. It'll probably only take them a couple of weeks, um, with, that artwork removed and replaced with something else. And wow. um, I think he's also on the La Sombra book. So that, that book is also not available. So well, um, that's ironic. <laughs> well, he was the iconic La Sombra. Um, oh God, I didn't realize that. Jeez. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so this like drove a question for me because um, how they want to handle this situation I like I'm not running a company. I'm not going to comment on like how they're choosing to handle that. Um yeah. but but as a, a person who buys PDFs on drive-through RPG, um mm -hmm. I like I wonder about my ability to get titles that I have paid for when a company makes a decision like this or for any other reason chooses to withdraw their products from drive-through RPG. Um, mm. Drive Through RPG also chose uh, a few months ago to stop um, selling a particular company's uh, PDFs um, because of the things yeah. that that owner had said 
that company's owner had said on Twitter. And um, so so I wanted to know, and I emailed DriveThruRPG to ask them um, about what their policy on this is. And they said that if a, a company chooses to remove their books from the store, it is up to the company whether the people who have bought those PDFs are able to continue downloading them or not. So uh, in this particular case, Onyx Path has removed the ability to download the book at all. Um, wow. And so if you if you don't already have the PDF on your hard drive, you, the, you can't get access to this PDF right now. And um, so their official policy is uh, they will always endeavor to make sure that products remain available to the customers who have bought them. Uh, but they recommend having a personal backup of any files you buy from them. And that is their official stance on this. And um, this is something that people have been talking about for a while in the video gaming space because there's uh, a large number of successful digital storefronts. And uh, the idea of being able to continue to play your games after something happens to a given company, whether their servers go down or whatever... Um, and I hadn't really thought of it uh, in terms of, you know, digital PDF stores, which are, you know, pretty a pretty big portion of the market these days. Yeah. So I just think it's good for people to know that, um, you know, DriveThru understands that nobody's going to enjoy having something they purchased be removed. And they're always going to try and make sure it's available. But if there is a reason why they feel it needs to be removed completely... Um, you know, uh, it it's going to be because mm. uh, I'm pretty sure the people who bought um, is it uh, RPG Guild, I think is what they were called. Um, I'm pretty sure all all of those PDFs are no longer available for download, mm. even if you had previously purchased them. This reminds me of you might have heard about this. There was a story, a little bit of a scandal, many years ago where Amazon effectively unpublished a Kindle book and it was deleted, removed from the storage of Kindle users, Kindle users who were connected to the network or who synced their library with the Amazon network. Yeah. Um, kind of... Backtracking a bit to our previous discussion and uh, Paizo choosing to update uh, this book in the form of a um, separate supplement. I know another company that did that, uh, Monty Cook Games, um, was oh. called out by someone. Um, I, I, I don't know anything about who they were um, for... Um, in the strange, there's a, a very large number of um, sort of possible locations that you can go to, and they're all based on um, basically anything you can dream of, right? You can go to any universe that can possibly be conceived. That's right. And so there's a large number of um, uh, like possible destinations and like little little story hooks and ideas to get your mind running on what you could play. And um, one of them was called the Thunder Plains, and it was based on um, Native American mythology, specifically... Ooh, I'd have to look this up, and I looked it up earlier. 
Um, but uh, some people felt that it was, uh, even though it was based on a specific um, like mythology that they looked into, um, which was specifically like the author grew up in an area and it was a tribe that was associated with that area. Okay, the Lakota. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so the, the mm -hmm. author had grown up in an area where the Sioux and the Lakota would have been the uh, tribes that would have been in that area beforehand. And so yeah. um, he specifically looked at Lakota uh, mythologies uh, when he was writing up his uh, thing. But... Um, I would just say he maybe didn't have particularly great sources. Um, and he ended up with something that uh, a number of people more familiar with native mythology uh, felt was this pan-tribal uh, mythology and took creative liberties that they found offensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, while he was intending to be inclusive... Uh, uh, a few people felt that it was um, not particularly well done. And one person in particular uh, got pretty vitriolic about it and had like a petition on change.org and was uh, writing these very long posts on their forums, um, trying to get the community to kind of like rise up against this. And um, they responded uh, to this person and were like, hey, um, if it's problematic, we would like to address that, but uh, the way you're going about this is pretty aggressive, and uh, we would we would like it if you'd work with us rather than just demanding that we stop printing a book that you know has been out for three months. Oh yeah, and um, and that was part of the petition was a demand that they like retract this thing from the section of a 600 page core book. Yeah. Um. Which, when you're an indie publisher, is a pretty challenging thing to do. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, they, they they basically told this person, we are no longer going to interact with you. Like, um, we're, we're, we're unwilling to deal with you on, on the terms you're setting. Somebody else contacted them, and they run a um, representation organization that uh, handles uh, uh, tribal peoples. And... Um, they put them in touch with people who gave them um, some better resources to uh, draw from. And oh. uh, Monty Cook Games put out a uh, supplement with um, a, a more in-depth uh, explanation. And they said that, um, you know, this is intended to replace the Thunder Plains section. Oh, cool. And, um, like, the end has a couple of, like, rep uh, references to other pieces of literature that you can go look up to see the mythologies that inspired this thing and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, this the way Paizo is handling this particular one seems very similar to the way that MCG handled theirs. I I feel like that's again I'm not actually part of their that community so i'm just going off a more general knowledge here but that feels like how i would handle something like that yeah like uh, trying to trying to go back and redo a, a book that's already in print is a, a pretty big challenge but putting out something for free that 
people can look at that attempts to correct it um, seems like a pretty valid option. I think that's how essentially video games will handle things like that too. They'll just give you the free D- DLC or something like that. Yeah, or patch it out. Although that one, it, it's a little more integrated. So it's it's very weird having these similar parallels between video games and tabletop RPGs because they are so interwoven, but also very different. It's It looks like Paizo, in addition to putting out this supplement that changes some things, they're also donating proceeds of... Um, I mean, a portion of the proceeds, but a portion of the proceeds is being um, donated to NAACP um, throughout the the following year of the proceeds from the offending uh, literature. Yeah, I, I remember reading it once, so I hadn't studied it. Uh, oh, it was an Orwell book? Yeah. Oh, my God. It, okay, so... So Ralph Ralph shared the story that he brought up earlier of Amazon erases Orwell books from a Kindle. Like and it was yeah. When I read a when I read a headline like that, I'm just like, was there not a PR guy <laughs> who who was there to be like, do do you guys not know? Yeah. <laughs> do you guys not know what this headline will be? <laughs> Jeez, yeah man. so this is a long time ago this is 11 years ago you know like things have changed since then but i remember reading about this back then and i was really shocked right of course because one of the books was 1984 right so <laughs> a book about government censorship and erasing it's, things <laughs> it's literally 1984 <laughs> that they took off the thing yeah <laughs> oh my god it wasn't an homage to catalonia no <laughs> it was it was the double speak book the big brother book well, it's the it's the book about flushing information down the memory. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, man. to provide more context, of course, right? Everyone was pissed. Uh, Amazon apologized. the The deletions from customer devices were in response to information that said that some versions people had published were sold by a group by a party that did not have digital rights to sell them. Right, like somebody had made a book called 1984 that was George Orwell's 1984. Yes. But they are not the people who are allowed to make that book. Yes, that's right. They're not allowed to publish it and sell it. And so, yes, the Amazon's approach was let's eliminate this, right? It can't be purchased. And in, uh, part of the process was let's eliminate it on all Kindles. And they, they apologized <laughs> because, yeah, it, it is definitely a bad look. It's a real bad look. <laughs> it's also a real bad approach. Somebody buys some, you can't just retroactively unpublish the book that they have. <laughs> we can add new commercial breaks. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, we're going to turn this into uh, the... Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to follow my my uh, my patron saints of podcasting, the McElroy brothers, and uh, we're going to have three commercials, uh, one for MeUndies, one for uh, whatever the linens company is, and uh, one for some other buy buy your stuff online now company. Blue and, Apron, I oh, think. Was there <laughs> Blue Apron? I oh, believe. yep, Blue Apron. Yep, they do do a lot of Blue Apron ads. If you're too Blue lazy apron, to you buy things it. on your own, and you want to pull all your food out of a box, <laughs> buy Blue Apron. Do you want to not leave your house? You can do that now. 
You just need to be rich. <laughs> oh, the one, make... I think... Wait, what? Oh, I think Blue Apron has match your wine pairings, too. So it's like... Oh, well, they're also, like, super expensive. Like, they want to tell you about how cheap they are in comparison to, like, going to the store. Um, no. But they, like... I don't remember what they use as their price comparison, but it's not any store that anyone goes to. Uh, Neiman Marcus. I mean... And, yeah, like, I think it... they're technically cheaper than the meals that are already prepared um, mm. because they can save a little bit on their packaging because they're just packaging ingredients. Um, but it's still pretty expensive to get Blue Apron. And... Um, but but the one that actually got me was the linens place because it was just like I think their like cheapest product is like three hundred dollars and I, that's like a sheet. That's not that's not even like a bed set. That's just a sheet. What, what am I thinking of? Other other one, the movement okay. movement watches and uh, you can yeah, tell I'm. Uh, watches are luxury items. There's no such thing as like a cheap watch company. True. But at like part of their advertisement is we're affordable oh i guess that yeah and then it's like five hundred dollars for this watch hey if you're a watch connoisseur that's a good price also like i think me undies are like thirty dollars a pair uh what is, my uh, undies are not thirty dollars a pair speak for yourself <laughs> that's what i'm saying man like i like why like they, I mean, they make a really big deal about how they're, they're like they're made of the super new materials that we. It's like being kissed, kissed by baby llamas. Uh, it just, I don't know, man. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, Listen, no, but yeah. if they can make tidy whities that don't get stained. I have, <laughs> I have an interest in a gift for some very specific people. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Um, so today's, uh, question for the podcast is game devs. Uh, how much do you care about them? Which devs? Um, well, I mean, so that's kind of the question. Like, would you buy a game because of who made it? Mm. With, like knowing nothing I, else about I, it. Like you hear the dev is on the project and you're like, well, I got to check that out. Buy a game if you made it, Corin. <laughs> low um i it's usually retroactively it's it's something that i care about uh if like the dev on it maybe is hostile i'd have an issue with that but at that point it probably would also already have the material and would just be using the parts i wanted anyways mm -hmm. um, the only other time i care is when they're doing essentially uh, troubleshooting questions so yeah so, so you're saying that your your purchases are never going to be driven by a uh by a particular designer um or developer your uh you just care if you find out later that they're uh a jerk and then you don't want to play their game anymore pretty much i i don't even read the author's line usually mhm mm so ralph well, I used to not pay close attention. Then, then I started actually looking at the staff who wrote the systems and the supplements that I liked the most. And I realized that I do clearly have some preferences 
for fiction that's associated with the work of particular people. So now I'm a little more thoughtful about it and that I'm more eager to consider a game if it's made by somebody who's made work that I liked before. However, I'm already pretty invested in certain systems where the developers and the system are directly associated. Well, isn't that kind of kind of what I'm talking about? Like, Yeah, but let me give you a different example. Like, say, you know, there are a few freelance authors who provide material to a bunch of different companies, right? Okay. Or they might go out on their own and they start something. Uh, I think I'd be more inclined to follow that or to support that new game that somebody makes if I've been supporting their, their stuff already now than I did in the past. Because in the past, I was a little agnostic about what I, what I was actually consuming. Right? I liked the system and the stories I was telling, but I wasn't really thoughtful. And by in the past, I mean like 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I wasn't really thoughtful about how the work of specific people was contributing to the cool stories that I told my friends. You know, I was naively thinking that we wrote these stories and we just used some cool rules that somebody came up with, as opposed to the fact that they really legitimately inspired us and they deserve recognition for it. Mm-hmm. That's probably the better response, and I'm just a lazy ass. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily true, because I, 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 I think there's a mix, and, um, you know, you can see parallels in the video gaming world where... There are certain games that um, you like, like are sold on the person who makes it, right? Like there are certain names that yeah. uh, they put on boxes because people care about those names. That's right. And I like I think that does happen in the indie uh, RPG scene as well. Um, and kind of like I guess this is a little tangential to what we're talking about, but like um, there's a guy named Bennett Foddy, and he makes. Uh, video games and he made a game that got quite a lot of press um, because it was incredibly frustrating called getting over it with Bennett Foddy <laughs> and this this was a very popular thing for youtubers to play so their fans could watch them be angry oh yeah and and the thing is that in addition to his name being on it he narrates during the whole thing um, giving you encouragement um, and conciliation as you uh, begin to succeed or fail um, oh, and also describing his reasons for making the game and his inspirations for the particular type of game that it is and uh, it is a game where you have to both literally and figuratively get over something uh, let me find this uh, oh getting over it is uh, definitely a journey worth going on um, if Ooh. not taking it yourself watching somebody else uh, undergo it Ooh. oh I do know this this Game. Yeah, man in a pot with a hammer. Yup. Oh man. Yeah, you are a man in a pot with a hammer, and you use oh. the hammer to propel yourself over things. It, oh. I just, one of those games that you just do because you're bored. Oh, it's definitely a thing where like nobody was like, "Well, I gotta play this game where I'm a guy in a pot with a hammer getting over things." Hell yeah. Uh, but 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 as people talked about it, it it continued to like sort of grow in notoriety and then it was like well you just you just got to try this man you just got to do it even if you yeah. give up you got to do it you get um, using only a hammer <laughs> i tried to um, do that last week i bust my face <laughs> open oh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like such genuine support and empathy 
I think I think Tasha has the ability to empathize with fictional stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, Benefani gave a uh, talk at the Game Developers Conference in 2018, I think, and um, it was after the success of Getting Over It. And um, the title of the talk was Put Your Name on Your Game with okay. Bennett Foddy and somebody else who also put his name on his game. All right. And um, their discussion was around the thing that if you're going to produce an indie game, you should like proudly proclaim that it is your work um, because it will create a brand of you. And if that brand gains any amount of success, you can then use that brand as capital when you're interacting with other indie companies or non-indie companies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a simple concept. And it just, I think the same thing is true in indie RPG design, that uh, only some of the names get remembered, but uh, only some of the names are even put out there that hard. Yeah. And uh, so, like, when Monty Cook was uh, repping for Numenera and, like, announcing that he was making his own company and making his own game and a bunch of stuff, a lot of people were talking about it because Monty Cook was talking about it. And I didn't even know who Monty Cook was until all of this stuff happened. But because people already had opinions about Monty Cook, they were expressing their opinions about what surely would come from his game. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, it can be a two-edged sword because a lot a lot of that pre-release press was pretty negative because uh, there were some people who felt that Monty Cook was responsible for every bad thing that ever happened in D&D during the third edition run. Yeah, a lot of people said that shit. What is the of his name? Yeah, well, yeah, and, uh, like, Monty Cook was the lead designer during 3rd edition D&D and 3.5 D&D. Um, so, I, I like, you can see why anybody who had any issues with those systems would blame him. Um, but, you know, it kind of ignores, like, the corporate culture he was working under and, you know, any yeah. any other things that affected those. Well, that's the thing, though, is he's, like, a name that I've heard. Not, I, I don't have any emotional attachment to it one way or the other it's just like hey this guy is D famous whether that be good yep. or bad and um uh like there there are a number of people like so john wick is somebody who i know um because of his work and um i followed him for a while and um i bought games specifically because he made them mm-hmm. because i had liked previous games he had made and I I don't know if it's something that I think is, like, a practice that should be promoted or defended or anything, mm-hmm. nor do I think it's necessarily, like, an, a, an innately bad thing to do, you know, because, uh, you know, if you like an author's work, you're probably going to read another book by that author. Yeah, it's true. And to a degree, that's that's what we're doing. But at the same time, like, he made products that I didn't care for, and that's why I don't really follow him anymore. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. I think it's like one of those that you should, much like books, you should treat the rabbit hole search engine in the same way. Uh, search engine. But uh, much like when you're looking up a book you already like and are using the search engine to find other books that are similar, I would do both. 
like I would try to find books that are both similar in plot line and also written by the same author. And much like my delve into Nora Roberts, uh, not all her books are awesome, but I do like her fantasy. <laughs> How dare <books>. you? <laughs> so that is the specific subsection that, and honestly, I probably don't like them as much as I did when I was younger, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the one, uh, uh, what was it? And she she just rips off so many con- like media tropes that it's just like yes this is exactly what I needed because it's just like everything else I'm consuming at this time yes mm-hmm. um but then she does it well <laughs> I can't remember her vampire one off the top of my head now but it's so uh, is that the Hunter Faith series because I know the Hunter Faith series is very popular uh I thought it was like the Triad something it well that's our other thing she almost always has like Irish and Gaelic in it at some point. There, there was always someone who's from Ireland. There's just, just it is a yeah, thing you can count on. Huh? She can't abandon her roots. Mm. I have no idea if I was Irish or Scottish there. <laughs> it probably plays to the bit though. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, it's like Morgan's Cross. I think is the first one, but like, there's a wizard who like time travels to meet a witch only because his brother got turned into a vampire and then he jumps to the future and <laughs> then he can find his vampire brother and this cool witch who then they have to team up with a vampire hunter and then two people from a different universe that's essentially just Avalon and anyway it is a good trip though <laughs> oh and like, I don't think I would as enjoy it as much as I did when I read it in high school, but it is definitely something that I'm like, I compare fan fiction to. Yeah. You have to be this level of good. <laughs> um, returning to, uh, like, devs and stuff, um, mm-hmm. like, I've had a number of things where something gets branded with a dev's name. And I don't know who they are, mm-hmm. and I so I so I don't like jump on the bandwagon because of that. But then like I'm like, okay, well their name meant something, so I should look that up. And it's like, oh, they're responsible for half of D and D or something. Yeah. Right. Like um, Margaret Weiss is a example of that. She made the Cortex system, and that was my first introduction to her was Marvel heroic role playing, oh, and yeah. then uh, like. I was like, okay, why why is her name the name of this company? And she was one of, like, five people working for TSR, like, full-time back in the TSR days of D&D. Yeah, back in those days. Back in those days. Yeah, it's weird. Because... So, she's written a lot. But go ahead, Tasha. I was just going to say, it's, it's almost before my time. Not, like, technically, I think, but before I was cognizant uh it was for sure because <laughs> i think <laughs> I, I i think like the tsr days started before i was born i think yeah. they ended when i was a child uh and i am older than you by a decent amount mm-hmm. cool because i've i've only ever known uh wizard of the Con- coast control of D. oh yeah. you poor child <laughs> <laughs> You sweet summer child. I know. Oh, you sweet innocent soul. You um, have experienced the wonders that are that. Oh, 
Oh, I have. Mm-mm. I have. No, no, no. Yeah. So Wizards has had the power the whole time, but her dad ran second edition. We, oh, we did it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's an old man. <laughs> yeah. He's like, come on here, kid. Let me get you up and show you this non-intuitive approach to yep. hitting and defending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like negative numbers? Because I do. My, my dad decided to incorporate a time travel element into the ending of our campaign. This is for fourth edition. So one of that was you had to play through all the editions as you went back in time. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like you had yep. to play 3.5 and then you had to play third edition and experience yep. all the disappointment of your character reverting to <laughs> Yeah, Don't that's you good. get you get better haste if you're a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But what if you want to be a half orc with a spike chain? No. No fun. <laughs> so yeah. So we did do like a run where we had to put up with Thacko and we're, we all simultaneously agreed we are never doing that again. So do you guys have a, like a dev, like a, like a RPG uh, developer, designer, author that like you, like it has some currency with you? Like it took me a second, but I'm like Matt Mercer. Yeah, like if if you put okay. that, it probably. Yeah. I that's that's fifty percent just sheer fangirl, but. What fifty percent? That's a lie. That's a hundred percent fangirl. <laughs> uh no, because he's actually a really good DM and writes really good okay, material. Okay. I I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. I'm still I'm still putting it at eighty. <laughs> fair. Um, Ralph, do you have anybody that, uh, if they said, hey, I'm making another game, you'd be like, ah, oh, cool, I'm, I'm waiting to hear about it. You know it. Who's that? Dave Brookshaw. What did, I, I don't know that name. What did, what did Dave Something Brookshaw make? Come on, lead mage developer. For such a oh, long okay. time. He wrote awesome actual plays as a mage player and GM. And then he became, you know, like kind of a freelancer. And then he got hired, mm-hmm. and then he became in charge of Mage. Yeah, so he he's the he person the who did adult. Ascension, not uh, I mean, uh, Awakening, not Ascension. Yeah, he he is the one responsible for Second Edition Awakening, the way it was, and how beautiful it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if if you want any introduction to Mage, every I mean, just read his APs. Incredible. So good. Read his APs. Oh, is this the um the Soul Cage? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I know you've 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 I like I downloaded them a long time ago and just never actually got around to reading them. Like five hundred pages, so it's a little challenging. Yeah. Um. And there's like a like a speech to text. (laughs) Uh, like oh, audio one? version. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. Oh god. Okay. Okay. I won't do that. No, just but read I just, it. Like I was just gonna say, like it's it's like I think four hours long or something like that. Well, yeah. um, just read it. Use your own voices. Go ahead, I, Sasha. Actually, I have put up with some really terrible voice text and still found it a more amiable in some cases than actually reading. But that's fine. <laughs> I love reading. Uh, 
I yeah, I don't have an issue reading in terms of the ability to read. Like I I I just like often uh don't sit down. I don't have a good reading space actually because I don't have anywhere that like I can sit with a light. Oh yeah. Like just just the way my setup is like the only place I could do that is my desk and um the light isn't in the right place for a book because I normally have a screen in front of me. Yeah. We both have so, a good place. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a book reading cornea corner. Cornea. You got two book reading corneas. <laughs> book reading cornea. Um, <laughs> book reading cornea. With Seymour Jenkins. Tend to end up if I do physically read a thing, it usually is something digital. Um but I do have a few books and I do I do prefer the feeling of books, so don't get me wrong. I want bookshelves. Yeah. I just also want the digital copy too. Yeah. Uh I'm a huge Brandon Sanderson fan. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. uh I've listened to all his books on audiobooks and there's a couple of them that like that's just not the right way. Yeah. Uh, like Arcanum Unbounded, uh mm-hmm. like because uh he drew maps in it and uh, there's like one book in particular where like uh, it it is a manuscript for a book and a person writing notes in the sides. So like oh, the, the yeah. audiobook person just has to like change voice back and forth. And that's not as good as reading that. So, um, yeah, like definitely a book that is better in physical format. That makes sense. Uh, Tasha, have you ever tried the... Um... The dyslexic font yeah um i follow their patreon for a while uh i personally like it i know a lot of people say it doesn't help them uh so it's really polarizing my problem with it is um either your phone doesn't support it or you can't download it or you have to jailbreak it to get it on there or you you can get it on chrome but then it like tweaks out uh, oh, that's that's bad um it it messes up all the other websites once you play it like it, well it doesn't mess up all the other website it messes up roll 20 in particular <laughs> <laughs> well uh i wonder i wonder if there's an e-reader that supports it i think there is because that might be a decent way like obviously it wouldn't help with role playing because you want to have like stuff um, in your in your screen and stuff like that, but like for reading fiction, like maybe that would be a way to to read fiction. I, um, for a while before I was heavily invested in Roll Twenty, that's how I would go through like fanfiction.net and uh, archive our own. I would just make sure it's on and just read like that, which was fine until Roll Twenty always crashes if I have it on. And since most I have to like go in and turn it off, and it's kind of a pain. Um, I end up just not leaving it on. Have you considered emailing Roll20 and saying that you really wish this accessibility option was available? I think I did it on one of their surveys. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Uh, I I just know uh, a lot of companies have responded a lot better to the idea of um, like accessibility options than like the 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 less like pc way of saying it or that's not even the right way to think of it just like people saying this doesn't work for me 
like companies have a tendency to ignore that. But then if you say like, oh, there's a way you could make this more accessible, like the companies are like, ah, I see. And a lot of times they'll they'll take that because I have tried doing that a few times, but several companies have also sent me well, at least one has said, Hey, we looked into it. We don't think it's beneficial enough. We're not doing it. It's too much effort. Oh, and then you post that on Twitter and get a lot of people angry at them. Yeah. Not that I'm actually advocating people do that. Because this is a um, terrible part of our modern society. It was it was for a, a small develop like it was it was for a free video game. I'm not gonna Oh <laughs> They were they were making like I think uh, a fan version of an Atomi game for Undertale or something. Okay. None of them made it, by the way. No, 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 no one actually finished that. But um, I, I recommend to all of them that <laughs> they should have that as an option. But I gotta I gotta tell the story. So there's there's a speedrunner for um, who who does speedruns at uh, ADGQ quite often. Um, known as half coordinated and um, mm. he has a um, disorder that makes it so that the left side of his body doesn't work very well oh wow and so he plays games one-handed holy shit and um, many people who watch his streams and uh, go to cheer him on at hgdq uh, generally leave comments like you're uh, a better gamer as half a man than i am as a full one uh, yeah. and things like that and that's all that's all taken in good humor um, but he is a, a big advocate for accessibility in games and, um, you know, people trying to make controllers that take into consideration that somebody might be operating them with one hand um, and yeah. video games allowing you to map controls, because if you only have one hand, you want to have those controls do what you want them to do. Um, That's right. And so he often uh, at the beginning of his games would give a little speech about accessibility and um, how it's great that, uh, you know, this game that he's playing like has these accessibility options. Um, maybe he'll say, hey, I'd really like to see this accessibility option in this game. This is where it could improve. And somebody at some point commented, uh, which is like, hey, he's a really good gamer, but man, I really did wish I didn't have to listen to that stupid speech at the beginning. So Ooh, he started bad. doing his speed run oh, and gave man. the speech during the speed run so you couldn't <laughs> skip it if you wanted to watch the speed run. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I love that guy. He's so good. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really good. Um, I actually yeah. have to be honest, you know, like, uh, especially because, like, I've seen the speech quite a few times. Like, um, like I don't necessarily want to watch the speech, but, uh, like, it's because I'm waiting to watch the game happen. So, like, you, you give that speech during the game, I'm listening the whole time. Yeah, that's true. It's the best way to do it. Make them watch. Strategy. Make them listen. That's right. That's right. No, that was, I am a big uh, supporter of mapping controls, oh, because, especially God. if you're, like, just, just make that fundamental. I don't, I, I, Grant, I I'm do not, not understand. We, like, like, you're, you're using Unreal, you're using Unity. These are literally just menus that you open up to make controls mappable. And, like, why do you not do it? Yeah. Please. Please, game designers, both indie and mainstream, mm -hmm. please map, allow players to map controls. Gosh. Let, let people do it. Like it's I'm so gonna, frustrating when you can't. I'm going to provide a dissenting voice and encourage all game developers to make games as frustrating and unplayable as possible. 
so that nobody plays them ever again. Yeah, don't don't allow people to have fun. Yeah, that's, that's not your right. goal. Your goal is to make art. Damn, they're fun. fun. That's right. We're here to be sexy. It doesn't matter if it works. All right. So as usual, games are fun. So go play some. Hell yeah, do it. Yeah, do that. <laughs> Let me make another commercial for Blue Apron. Blue Apron. (laughs) Hey there, everybody. They usually have asparagus because they can't find another shelf-stable vegetable. Or an easily refrigerated vegetable. Howdy out there, everyone, in the coronavirus days. Have you not left your apartment for four months for various reasons? Do you have no interest in actually exhibiting any initiative to find the vegetables you need on an online shopping portal? Do you want to make shrimp scampi in your bathroom using just the bathtub and a hot plate? Order from Blue Apron, and you can do all of these things. With wine. With wine pairings now. With wine. (laughs) 